So, how you guys doing? I'm fantastic. <laughs> Everyone feeling okay after yesterday, or uh, do we need to talk about it? I think we need to talk about it. Pull up a chair. All right. Pull up a chair. All right. Guys, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 Podcast. I'm Brendan Sinone, Chris Snead, Josh Newberg joining me. Everyone's together for this. Uh, we're going to recap uh, the 2019 recruiting class, which is still up in the air <laughs> with one, one piece. Um, National Signing Day was yesterday, and Florida State exits the day without a, uh, a quarterback, and I think that's going to be the main talking point uh, for us on the show today uh, and, and probably uh, still on the message board right now, but I'm, I'm going to guess that people are going to be talking about it for the next few days because obviously that's an important position FSU had to land in this class, and they didn't. So we'll I'll, let's, just, let's just start from there. This is not going to be our most structured podcast, which is saying something, but it may be informative. You are really setting the bar low out of the gate. Good I job. believe in setting the bar very, very low. And, uh, and exceeding expectations. Yeah, I mean, signing day was a mixed bag for FSU. They add six to the class. They push it to 21. Nick Cross is still dangling out there with a parent who doesn't want him going to FSU. But the young man wants to go to FSU. Really doesn't want him to go to yeah. FSU. Clearly. And I think Nick did the best thing he could do for himself yesterday, which was don't put pen to paper if you're not being allowed to make the decision you want to make. Let this thing calm down, play out, and... How it settles is how it settles, but he didn't rush into it, which I think is a smart move. I'm still not convinced he ends up at FSU in the end. So FSU finishes with the number 16 class, but it could drop if Nick Cross was to leave the class. There's also a few other guys still dangling out there that could move other schools up. But for the most part, FSU is either going to have the number 16 class or I think the number 20 class. 20, I think, is as low as it'll be. So that's where we're looking at. So 16 to 20 is the parameters we're working with. The good things yesterday, Ira Henry, Darius Washington, two offensive tackle prospects, they joined the class. You keep Quayshon Fuller away from others, and you can now start de-recruiting him because he desperately needs that process to be done. The bad news was the Nick Cross situation, which has been an ongoing deal dating back to the summer months. And you miss out on Lance Lejeune, who chooses... Lejeune. Lejeune. Lejeune is a, is a camp. You're right, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're not Camp Lejeune in it over here. That's where my grandpa was. But uh, you miss on Lance. He goes to Maryland. You know, I would label it a mild surprise, but he did kind of go dark in the last couple of days as far as talking to people, prospects, coaches, all of that. When that starts happening, you sometimes worry. And you also missed, and I use that lightly, on Kamar Bell, offensive guard. He chose Auburn over FSU. I think FSU would have valued having him. I don't think it was anywhere near the necessity that the other two linemen they got were because he's a guard compared to them who are capable of being tackles. And FSU is far more desperate for tackles than guards. All right, that's a good recap. Josh, I'll uh, throw it to you for, for a quick synopsis on the day, and then we'll, we'll go to specific, uh, specific subjects after that. No, I really think starting off with what FSU did right, I think they did an incredible job of finishing an offensive tackle. Um, Maybe two or three weeks ago, it was looking like there was no high school offensive tackle in sight. I think they got two quality pickups in Darius Washington and Ira Henry on signing day. Um, I agree with Chris. Having known FSU signed those two tackles, Kamar Bell at guard really became – I don't want to say a luxury. I think it would have definitely helped the roster having him without him. Um, But, you know, missing on him, losing him to Auburn right down the stretch wasn't a complete shock. And it was the pain was alleviated quickly with Ira Henry committing at 3 p.m. So that being said, though, um, the the way this, this situation played out at quarterback was about the apocalypse that we were looking at. 
outside of James Blackman transferring, and that nearly happened. Um, so here we are, and we're going back to the portal. Um, I think, you know, we're going to see them that land a grad transfer. This is what grad transfers look for, situations like what FSU has. So I think they'll solidify it in the offseason, the, the position I'm talking about. I think they'll solidify the quarterback position in the offseason, at least in the short term. Uh, but there's still big question marks moving forward. Yeah, and with the quarterback situation, the interesting dynamics to look forward to or ahead to is one who's truly available that's a grad transfer to it would can be argued that the best options are off the board as of January for the mid year guys, the guys you could get in here for spring. Oh. Right now you're looking at guys aren't getting here until pro until that, summer ball. That can't even be argued. I mean the 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 cream of the crop for grad yeah. transfers are gone. Hertz is gone, so now you're looking at the Josh Jacksons of the world and then it kinda goes down from there. The other thing is, how does a guy coming in of that sort impact James Blackman? Is he game for it? Do you sell him on the point that, look, dude, we got to have bodies in that room in case you get banged up? I think it would be beneficial to FSU to kind of go all in on James being their guy. Whether it's true or not, just do it because you got to convince him to stick around no matter what the circumstances are moving forward. You cannot afford to be right back in this situation because you add a guy but you lose another guy. You can't do that. So... Yeah, make it abundantly clear to the young man that you are committed to him. I think that's important. I think that's something they should have done months and months ago. Um, But now I think it's a necessity. But you're at the point where quarterback remains a conundrum for you. It's a major issue. You've got to fix that question. And it's been looming now for two cycles. One where you came in abruptly towards the end of the cycle. You can excuse coming up short there because – it's a small window. There weren't a ton of options. You made a run at Emory Jones, James Foster. You came up short to both of them to SEC programs. But then you had a full 12-month cycle, including a couple months on the front end. You had ends with several quarterbacks, Tyson Fumacha, Sam Howell. There's plenty of others we can list. And then there's a secondary market of guys you went after after losing Howell. And you come up empty. It's inexcusable. The, the quarterback room, and let's stand right here with quarterbacks and I think stay here for a few minutes. Um it is inexcusable. It's it's really really a bad look. You, they created a problem for themselves. Let's that's first, the issue I have. First, I, let me cue in Willie Taggart talking about the quarterbacks okay. yesterday, so we get his statement, and then we'll go from there. Cool. All right. Yeah, we we, we have a plan. Uh, I think pretty good plan. Uh, I don't necessarily want to discuss it right now, but I think we got a pretty good plan on, on where, where we want to go. Uh, we've had this plan in place, and um, it's. After today, we executed it, and we got to continue to grow. To uh, grow, we need more depth at the position. Obviously, um, I think um, when you look at the transport portal and, and grad transport, there's always options um, for us. But it's, I think it's more important to get the right kind of guy here, especially at that position, and not just go get any anybody. And I think um, going through through last year. Um, um, we can't. We got to make sure that we get our guy, and, and when we when it comes to getting a, um, a quarterback, and making sure that he's a team guy, and this can't just be a certain guy um, guy. Because I think if anything, that's what hurts. We 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 invested in someone, and uh, we missed on him. So um, that's that's on us, and we just got to make sure that don't happen again. So. All right. Last last oh, yesterday that I got there's two I, things I, I took. There was, there is some truth in there. Yep. And I think there's some made up stuff in there. 
Is is the executing the plan part of the made up stuff? I mean, I just don't understand why Willie continues to do this to himself by setting these standards. Um, they missed on a quarterback in the early signing period, and he came out and he tried to reassure the fan base that there's a plan and that they're going to get a guy in here that everybody likes, which has worked. And then this time, he comes out and yes, they missed on a quarterback. Yes, we know they're scrambling because we know what options are out there and there's not many. But why do you have to pin yourself down and tell the fans that you have a plan and that you know it's it's going to work out? Um, I think you could have worded that a little bit differently. Now, he was true uh, in his statement, and he did own it. I like that, that they invested in a guy and they missed on him, and they did. And um, I think there were a few minor mistakes made along the way. Some of it maybe was inevitable and it was going to happen. But I think the lesson learned there is investing all in on one guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's where the quarterback issue of 2019 signing class really comes is when they became committed to Sam Howell, who was not fully committed to them for the end stretch of his commitment to FSU, they played fools of themselves by not allowing them to play a more fertile market. Mm -hmm. And then they lose a kid at the early signing period when the market becomes drastically depleted, limiting their options with multiple schools pursuing those same options. And it's you know you're playing a game of you know low odds, and it's multiple fronts in which that affects them. So initially, by going to Sam Howell and knowing that he only wants he wants to be the lone quarterback in that class, it hurts your the guys that you're trying to get up front, and that's Tyson, Fumacha, uh, Jaden Daniels, guys that they were in the mix on and probably could have had. Uh, we assume would have had if if there were they could have accepted a commitment. Um, so you, you miscalculate there on that end, and that's bad. But then the amount of time it takes you to sell on the Sam Howell stock and you let him dictate terms and try to hold on to him until the bitter end of the early signing period, it then impacts your recruiting the backup plans because you didn't have concrete backup plans other than the Jaunton extent. And we see how that and, and John Riles Plumley how those plans went. Um, so, so it hurts you both getting a main guy and then being slow to react. Not good. My last two points on it: you should always be in the market for two quarterbacks the entire time. And secondly, you got to understand. I presume they get this; they've done this job a long time. Quarterback recruiting is largely done in June and July. Mm-hmm. You better have a guy, if not two guys, when June and July wrap up. If you put yourself in a pickle where you're dealing with December, January, February for finding a quarterback, the way it plays out is what we saw yesterday. That was a cue for you, Josh. Anything else on quarterbacks? I know you got more. Uh, I, I really don't know what else to say without coming off like, you know, we're beating a dead horse because I've said multiple times, I forget what platforms, whether it be Facebook Live or this podcast, but I've said that I truly believe this program will turn around when it finds a quarterback. And I've used examples of when this, quarter, when this program has had a good quarterback versus when they've had poor QB play and what the record correlates to. And we also have seen what the you know the Florida Gators have been doing the last eight years, and their record has directly been correlated to the quarterback they have. So, I mean, I can't really stress how important it is to not only find the right guy, but you know, arm after arm after arm. And if Jimbo taught us anything, it was you can you can have success finding an elite quarterback, but at the same time have terrible attrition. Um, and we see for various reasons what attrition's done to FSU's uh, quarterback room. And now here we are with 
fewer and fewer, fewer numbers. I mean, like every couple months, it looks like we're losing another quarterback. Um, now we're only down to one. And it's going to be a uh, – it's not a hard thing to turn around and fix, but we said that last year coming out of signing day. Remember, we, we, we talked a lot about the fact that, hey, FSU is one of the only programs that didn't sign a quarterback in 2019 or 2018. So 2019 will be a breeze to find at least an elite one and then probably a backup and up and up and up and thought that, that was going to be a, a, an accomplishable goal, you know, something that FSU would take care of in time. But like Chris said, when, when we got to July and August and, and no QB recruit, I think at that point your odds of landing the guy that you want decrease significantly because you're basically playing the bounce back market once the season starts. You're hoping that at the end of the season uh, there's a coaching change and one of these top arms comes loose and, and you can recruit him. And I think when when you put what happened with FSU is they kept on pushing the odds further and further out of their favor when it came to QB recruiting. And then you see what happens down the stretch when you jump in on guys late. Weird stuff can happen because you don't have those relationships. And uh, that's what we saw with Lance and, and especially Plumley. And I, I don't want to tell people how they should react because we've seen a, a very wide array of, of reactions from readers and, and listeners and whatnot on not getting a quarterback, presumably the cycle. I'm not sure what where FSU goes from here, but just factually, FSU is the only Power 5 team that hasn't signed a quarterback in two consecutive classes. There's no other Power 5 team. Uh, my belief is, just going through and, and looking at the numbers yesterday, that that exists. Um, and there's a reason why teams take a quarterback or two in every single class. It's because of the attrition that Josh alluded to. It's because a guy doesn't develop. Someone does. You get, you know, guys leave. You, 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 yeah, there are a, a bunch of reasons why you take multiple guys at that position. It's because it's the most important position on the field. It's, and Willie Taggart knows this. He, he said that very early on when, when he was asked about the quarterback and how he was going to handle the situation when he had three guys on the roster and talked about you know, what FSU's program has been when it's had an elite quarterback. So he, he knows what it takes to, to win um, at this level. He knows that you need a really capable, dynamic quarterback. Um, and, and the fact that you miss on that two years in a row, it, it's hard to justify that, that that's normal. It's not normal. It's abnormal. And in fact, you're the only school in the Power Five that, that can say that right now. And it, I don't know how to say that's not at least somewhat concerning. I got to Real quick, I mean, I want to jump in here and ask Chris a question. But uh, when when Cam Akers was signed and the Wild Cam and all that, like it, it was for the most part a joke. Um, there was probably some fringe FSU fans that believed it, it was going to happen or it, it would be successful. But last night, Willie Taggart entertained the idea of Travis J possibly playing, getting a look at quarterback. Uh, Chris, what was what was your thoughts on on Jay? Is that you've seen him play a lot? Is that something that we could see on the next level though? I think him as a full-time quarterback is an absurd idea at the college level. I think he's a guy that you can use for a trick play. I think he's a talented enough athlete that he can be used on the offensive side of the ball to do some things. He is an all-world defensive back, so I think it devalues him by playing him on the offensive side of the ball. And at the end of the day, is he a guy that I think can line up and take 75 snaps on offense at the college level, at a high level in the ACC, and be successful consistently doing it? No, I don't. Yeah, I. So do you think Willie Taggart's seriously considering it? I'm not gonna try to answer that at all. I mean, I I don't know. I 
I didn't ask Willie, and I haven't had that specific conversation. He made a couple comments on it, as did Kendall Bryles, and that's where it stands. And I know they talked to Travis about it. My story with Travis during the exit interview from his official visit on Sunday was about the fact that he could be a two-way player for him. But to me, it was more a spot-punching type of offensive usage, not a that's-our-guy-who-we're-going-to-lean-upon type of offensive usage. Yeah, I kind of feel like that might have been more to calm the fears of FSU fans, I think, more than it was like in execution. I don't, I don't think we're going to really see Travis J out there. But guess what? Willie mentioned it at his press conference, so you know what? We're going to have, eight, we're going to have questions for the next six, seven, eight months about whether or not Travis J is going to be competing for that QB job. I think that narrative is silly. That that people are thinking that he's going to seriously be a quarterback for them. I think, like Chris said, spot duty, there's value. He's athletic. He can throw the football a little bit. I mean, he he ran for about a – I think he ran for more than 1,000 yards in high school, and he threw for about 1,000 yards as a senior. He's, um, a, he's a winner. He won back-to-back yeah. state titles, and he, he's a – He's the kind of guy that is an excellent football player. The cliche of football player, it fits him perfectly. But he's an all-world defensive back. He is a special kind of player in the secondary who has major potential there. At quarterback, he's a really good athlete who can do a thing here and there, but he's not what FSU should be lining up at quarterback. I agree. And and they have other guys on the roster as well who can throw the ball a little bit. And we may write on that later. So I mean, they have Cam Akers, DJ Matthews, Brandon Gant. These are all guys who played quarterback in high school to some extent. But it's it's we saw when Cam was back there this year at times, and they try to do that more often. It's a different it's a different game, and the same skills that you use in the high school level don't translate over to to college all the time. So, yeah, I could certainly see FSU finding sub packages to utilize. Uh, a really, really dynamic athlete and winner like Travis J, but I, I don't know. I, people, people trying to paint the picture that he's going to be a legitimate quarterback for them. I, I think some would go terribly, terribly wrong if he's taken more than five or so snaps their game. Um, anyway, something more, more positive. Let's talk about the offensive line real quick. Uh, you guys both touched on it, but kudos to FSU for. For finishing strong with Darius Washington, uh, I was skeptical going into the the final stretch that they would be able to get him because they offered so late. Uh, Willie apparently did a really really nice job of of winning Darius and his family over and, and selling him on the vision for the program moving forward. They like Darius as a as a as a tackle and they need tackles. And Ira Henry they did a really nice job closing on too. It was a tight battle with with Auburn at the very end, but you have a potential left tackle in Darius and a potential starting right tackle. And Ira Henry, uh, both really physical guys, and and I don't expect them to to play this year to be day one contributors, but you certainly see the upside for both. And uh, for a team that hasn't had a lot of depth on the offensive line, uh, those are pluses. Yeah, they need high school tackles that they can develop over time to replenish the depth chart and create an order to it again that they've been missing because that position's been in disarray. Uh, Darius Washington, 6'4", 285-ish, very long-armed kid. His strength will improve with the college game. He's a good kid. He's, he's cut from the right cloth. Like, he's mm-hmm. a mature kid who wants to be a good student, wants to be a good player. He'll be committed to the program. Ira Henry looks a bit more like the dude you want walking off the bus first, kind of barrel-chested, 300-pound-ish, about 6'5". Phys- physical guy, good finisher, could be a hell of a guard, but they need tackles, and he can play tackle. So I think he plays tackle. But he could certainly play both. So, very good ads for them at the end. As we said, they 
did not get Bell, it would have been an addition at guard. But they get those two, add it to the three they got in the early signing period, plus Ryan Roberts from NIU will come in. Another guy who will help him at tackle, and he should help him instantaneously. He's a little more college-ready than anybody else coming in in the class. Mm-hmm. And I think they're still going to pursue probably two, maybe three other offensive linemen in the transfer portal who can come in and help early on. Parker Braun and Andre Proctor being the two we've discussed the most. I think Braun's a guy that could easily come in and be their starting center next year. So they can still find some solutions to that position and improvements to that position through the portal. But I think they went a long way in this class combined with last year's class of starting to replenish and restock and create a true depth chart that you can develop. Now, is it going to be much better next year? No, I don't expect a drastic improvement. But there will be, as Willie used last night, competitive depth, which I think does benefit them with dealing with the problem on the offensive line. All right, Josh, once again, missing the <laughs> missing the cue. Come on, dude. No, you guys did great. <laughs> I don't know what more I could say, except the only thing I would add is <laughs> that I'd give big props to Greg Fry for the job that he did, especially down the stretch, convincing these young men to come to Florida State. Um, there's a lot going on surrounding Greg Fry as far as the uncertainty with his role moving forward with the program. Uh, we've all heard the rumors of Randy Clements and that, but Greg Fry um, kept his nose down. Uh, he has a job to do. He kept the right mentality and really uh, really came through in the end with those big offensive tackles. And I know Willie Taggart also deserves a lot of credit um, because he was at home making stuff happen. But Greg Fry, I think, is, it deserves a shout-out here. But you guys did a great job running everything else there. Thanks, Josh. All right. I think the other two parts of the class that should be highlighted is linebacker Hall. Even though it was only three, they made one four. I think all three of those guys are very good football players. Mm -hmm. I think Deloach is a guy who has a very high ceiling. I think Kevon Glenn's a guy that's a little closer to a ceiling, but I love him as a player. He's a thumper. He's fearless. He's a really well-rounded kid. I think he's a very good asset to your program. And Jaleel McRae, outside of the knees having issues, I think he's a really good football player. I just worry about his longevity and ability to play long-term. And then the defensive back hall is excellent. It's arguably one of the best defensive back classes in the country, especially if they keep Nick Cross. Um, you know, I've already kind of gushed on Travis Shea as a corner. We all know what Akeem Den is. Brendan Gant's a really good athlete, got a lot of field safety to him, can move around, do a lot of things. And he's a guy that's game is still being refined to some degree. I think Nick Cross is unbelievably impressive, a big body box linebacker safety type guy who can play the pass really well. And then, you know, Malcolm Green's a guy we don't talk about as much, but that dude's a dog. Every single human being on the planet describes him as a dog. He's competitive. So that group, I think, is really good. And Harlan Barnett spoke last evening at the recruiting bash about how they wanted to go out and get big-bodied guys who were athletes who could go against um, trees. I can't remember if Harlan used the term Harlan trees. Harlan said trees. Harlan said trees, not Willie. I couldn't you need, remember which one definitely said. You need a tree to guard said. trees, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But that they, that's what they want. That's why they pursued so many DBs. That's why they went after certain body types for the most part. Malcolm Green's not a guy you would put against a tree necessarily, but a Travis Shea and a Keem Dent certainly are. Mm-hmm. So I think they did an excellent job in those two areas. And I think those are both groups that are going to help them a lot especially next year, I think there's a few guys in those groups who have the ability to be instant impact, which I think this class lacks to some degree overall of instant impact guys. It's an excellent depth class. It's a class that's going to help them replenish a roster. I don't quite know how much instant impact is on that class, though. Uh, it, it seems to me like the instant impact is is on the in the defensive backfield, like you said, which is, which is cool because the safeties were not very good last year. 
Uh, you were forced to play Stanford Samuels there, and he's clearly, in my mind, a much better cornerback than he is a safety. And he was fine safety, but can be a special corner, and, and I think that's where his, his he's going to make his money in the NFL is as a corner. So finding guys who can allow you to play your best players in the position that plays them the best or that they're best performing at makes makes sense. So I think you you help yourself out there. Uh, but but the concern to me in looking and maybe take a macro look now at this recruiting class, you're talking about uh, top 16 overall to top 20 overall. Yeah. I know it, depending on Nick Cross. I know that recruiting rankings aren't everything. We saw at the end of the Jimbo era what recruiting rankings mean when you don't develop guys and, and you're not surrounding them with top end coaches. Uh, but FSU, in, in my mind, has put itself in a position with this class to where it has it can't miss. It doesn't have a whole lot of instant impact players, like you said, Chris, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they're relaying, relying a ton on developing guys uh, and, and not bringing in just pure, raw, amazing talents uh, because the staff is good at evaluating and they missed on a lot of guys. So if we're operating under the assumption that they're good at evaluating, which, which I think is fair, it's a very good staff at evaluating, looking at how the scholarship offers went and how they had to move on from guys and kind of scramble a little bit at the end to finish off the class shows you that they didn't get the top guys that they wanted. So, so now they're relying on either projects or getting good baseline guys, but it's not the type of class that makes, in my mind, that, that seems like it's uh, going to be a one that changes everything. Yeah, they, they recruited almost as though there were three cycles. They recruited as though they were going to be a really good football team on Saturday. So that's how they recruited from the beginning of the cycle to about halftime of the VTech game. <laughs> and then they kind of stuck with that for a while, trying to still get those high-caliber guys that they'd gotten themselves in the game with. But as the season went poorly, they had to transition. So they moved on to, we're trying to close out for the early signing period, addressing major needs, going after these guys, trying to keep guys. But along the way, they lost a Charles Cross. They lost a Sam Howe. Mm -hmm. There were others that they lost along that way that would have helped them immediately. So they signed an early signing period class that is good, not great. So then you come to the third part of the cycle, which is the rush of January to February, where you're trying to address your major needs and try to put, you know, a little bit of cherry on top of the cupcake and try to close out. And right now we're sitting here where they didn't get a quarterback, which was a major need. They did a fairly good job at finishing up the O-line, which was a major need. They're trying everything they can to hang on to Nick Cross, but if they lose him, they lose a very, very good player to a part of the strong class. Now that doesn't, the DB class doesn't go to hell if they lose Nick Cross, Mm -hmm. but Nick Cross is a significant loss. Mm -hmm. I, I termed it a necessity the other day, and some people disagreed with that, and that's all perfectly well and fine. But I'm just going to Did you share. not watch the safeties play last year? I'm just going to share that I wasn't the person that originally called him a necessity when the brainstorming for that article came up. And if you get what I'm getting at, the brainstorming was with people that very, very much view him as a necessity because they recruited him as a necessity. I think FSU would like to hold on to him. Yeah. And we'll leave it at that. Um, but I, So I guess I've set all this up to, to bring, and I, I want to get both your thoughts on this, but you bring Willie Taggart in. And correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but and I'll go to you first, Josh. But you bring Willie Taggart in for three reasons, primarily. One, he's a program builder. That's what he sold as uh, at Western Kentucky, at USF, a year at Oregon. He takes a he takes a program that's in disarray or needs work and leaves it in better position. That's that's what he did, and we're assuming that FSU is a destination job for him. He's he said as much. Two, he's a really good recruiter, familiar with Florida. Uh, he, he parlayed. 
you know, that those connections in Florida to some, you know, to a really nice class at Oregon, made good headway out with West Coast coaches there. So you're expecting him to be a very, very good recruiter. And three, uh, his offensive mind, the fact that he was able to take a offensive scheme that wasn't working for him at USF, uh, overhauls it to spread offense with Quentin Flowers at the helm and becomes dynamic. Uh, that helps him get the Oregon job, which in turn helps him get the Florida State job. And, and he's the one running that offense. Um, those are, to me, the three main reasons why Willie Taggart was such an attractive hire at the time. Now you look at it you know, more than a year into the tenure. Uh, he's given the offense to Kendall Bryles. I'm not saying that's a, a bad decision at all, but the remains to be seen, one, what Kendall's going to do with the offense, and two, needs to be noted that Willie was brought in to run a, a high-powered offense. Uh, the recruiting... This is probably FSU's lowest-ranked recruiting. It's not probably. It is FSU's lowest-ranked recruiting class in more than a decade. I think the worst they were under Jimbo was 11th at one point. So you're talking about 16 to 20 range. And then the program building part, um, we've Willie's talked about finding culture guys and chemistry, you know, getting guys who can help with the chemistry. Uh, we just saw him dismiss DeAndre Francois. That still remains to be seen. But those are the three things that he's been brought in to, to do. And uh, right now the grade's incomplete. We're still very much so in that process. So, Josh, I'll keep that to you. Correct me if I'm wrong with any of that stuff. No, you're dead on. Boom. Um, I, I agree with all of it. Last year at this time, a year ago probably today, I was on the Knowles 24-7 pod. I remember saying this on Bill King's show as well. But I said, you know, FSU went from 64 to 11 on signing day, and I think that Willie Tiger did a incredible job of salvaging, you know, the mess that Jimbo had left behind in recruiting. Yeah. And I said, but, you know, finishing 11 any other year is unacceptable in Florida State standards when it comes to recruiting. Uh, and I said at the time, you know, Willie Taggart would be the first to admit that. I mean, when Willie arrived, he was telling boosters he's going to land the number one class in America. Uh, um, so, so he was absolutely insinuating that recruiting does matter. And last year at this time, we were saying, you know, this, we're going to look back at this number 11 class and kind of maybe laugh at it, and it's going to be a, an anomaly, but they finished even further behind this year, and, and I understand that Willie Taggart had a five-win season, and I understand how recruiting goes when you win five games, but let's all take a step back here as FSU fans and think about the big picture. How is this program going to get better? By winning. It's going to get better <laughs> through better recruiting and filling the needs of recruiting. That's the only way it's going to get better. But you clearly, I can't say that they recruited better this year than they did last year or, you know, any time in the past 10 years. So I do think it's an issue that they need to correct. Um, Chris hit on a couple of strategic things that I think they're going to do differently this year and adjustments that they're going to make this year. And already 2020 is off to a great start. So they are showing us that they're going to do better this year. Um but I think coming a year ago today, if you told me, hey, FSU is going to finish 15 or 16, would that be a good class? I don't think any of us, fans, analysts, players, alumni, I don't think anybody would say, yeah, a 16-rate class coming off of the 11 class means we're heading in the right direction. And, and I think having – there's some who are going to say that's a 16-rate class for a team that went 5-7 and seven is, is impressive. Take a step back. Getting better. No, you know, and that's, are we getting better with the 16th rate class compared to maybe a top five or a top eight class? No, you're going to get better with the with the better class. My, my point is, is like if if the on field product is hindering recruiting that much in a cycle, that's that's concerning. 
Yeah, if that impacts your ability to get a re- elite class. I don't know if it was trying to put shine on it or talking point or how you want to phrase it, but it was clear that yesterday they kept hammering away at the point that they believe this class from a culture standpoint will help infuse the culture they hope this program can have, which in turn they believe can help them be more successful. I don't disagree with that. I think it certainly can help, mm-hmm. but you also need really good football players to win games. So it's kind of a balancing act in this class. While it has some good players and some really good players, I don't know if it has enough for FSU to compete at the level that FSU expects, or as Willie Taggart likes to call it, the standard. I don't know if this class allows them to return to that standard or live by that standard. Now, does it set them on the right path? That's to be determined. I think that's what they believe this class is capable of doing. When I say they, I mean the coaching staff. So we shall see if that's how it plays out. So to me, it's it's you know it's a 16th ranked class, and I view it as such. Mm-hmm. To me, the 16th ranked class means you have some really good pieces to it, and you have some pieces that you hope exceed your expectations. But you're also going to have some guys that aren't really going to help you a whole hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. And every class is in that dynamic. The difference is when you're 16, you're 16 because guys on the upper echelon that do help you a lot mm-hmm. tend to be lesser. Or the player that isn't you know, the difference maker, isn't the Dalvin Cook that lights up the scoreboard, the James Winston that is a generational talent, you know, things like that. So I don't know if this class possesses that. The, the closest right. thing to me in this, this class. Staff, this staff identified a, a large group of players early on that they really thought could help this team. And they invested their time, money, resources, energy into those guys. You know, guys like Nicobe Dean and Kayvon Thibodeau. And we saw who they identified early on and who they really invest, even though they didn't land a cave on Thibodeau, you know, they invested more than half this recruiting cycle, getting to know him and, and recruiting him. And to set, you know, when they, when, when those guys go elsewhere, it's not because they went elsewhere because uh, FSU didn't find them as leaders or culture fits. I mean, they went elsewhere because they wanted to. And the guys that FSU brought in, yes, they very well could pan out and be good players, but you're, your risk of them busting is higher because you didn't really invest the same time, energy, resources into recruiting them as long as you did these other guys that you identified early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Like you can't tell me they know and, and, and spent as much time recruiting uh, Kayvon Lee or Kayvon Glenn as long as they recruited Kobe Dean. Well, it goes back to the point is that I, I do think the staff is really good at evaluating. I think there's, there's a handful of people on the staff that I respect their evaluation skills. Absolutely. Uh, and but and so if, if that's a truth, if we believe that, then the fact that they were in on other guys before they were in on a lot of guys they signed should should signify something, right? I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So let's just not play that you know, the guys that we wanted were really the guys that we wanted because there's a reason why you went after Kobe Dean and 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 Booth and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you spent time going to see Devontae Dobbs early on. You know, they, they made some trips to Michigan on the plane. They they made some trips on the plane to California to see Kayvon Thibodeau. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there was a lot of, I think, wasted energy, maybe. Um, and like Chris said, maybe at halftime of the Virginia Tech game was when they should have gone and redrawn the recruiting board instead of maybe after Clemson or, or after Miami is when the bike started coming on. But hey. These, this is revisionist history that we're doing right now. Sure. I, I completely understand once that grinder of a season gets going, how things can get lost. And um, this isn't the only staff at FSU who maybe lost their way in recruiting during the season. We've seen this happen before. So it does happen to the best of them when you're not 
winning cures all. We say it on pod all the time. And this is a situation where if they go out and win, they can cure a lot of the issues that they had in recruiting. So I, I still operate under this belief that if, if they start winning, I think so much takes care of itself. I know it doesn't recruiting. That the ball can get rolling. But with the way Willie Taggart recruits and the way his staff recruits, they're very enthusiastic. And, and Willie's awesome in home. We saw how he closed with some top recruits. Uh, we saw that the, it's tough to sell, though, when things aren't going well and you can lose out to, to Maryland or Ole Miss for quarterbacks that you want. So look, we, no, look no further than Gainesville. Yeah, exactly. So once it and, gets going, yeah, it can be special. It can be completely irrelevant for ten year, for eight years and then have a ten-winning season and get back into the top ten in recruiting. I mean, Dan Mullen showed how what a quick turnaround can do for recruiting and how you can get that boost mm-hmm. quickly. I mean, he did most of his work late in the season into the offseason. But then it becomes a cyclical, self-fulfilling prophecy almost if you don't win and the recruiting hurts and then you're not getting the lead or at least impact players. And then the exactly, it starts yes, feeding into itself. Right. So, so this year in this recruiting cycle, I mean, this is – I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here. This is a big year for them to, to kind of get out of what, what's been a rough couple of years now, not just for this staff but the previous staff as well. It's easy for us to sit here and view it in the end. Sure. Um they recruited as though they would be good, and they expected to be good. And they should have. That was correct. Right. That the, makes sense. The one place where I think it's fair to be critical is I don't think they adjusted to not being good quick enough, and that hurt them in recruiting to some degree. But I, I don't have an issue with them recruiting to be good. Mm-hmm. I think it's smart. If you are trying to be an elite football team, you need to recruit elite players, and that's what they try to do. I think the biggest issue that they had – well, one is recruiting only one quarterback and yeah. you know we, kissing we, his ass we, the whole time and not pursuing two. But we've talked about that. But I think the other thing is that you you failed to recognize that it wasn't going to go according to plan. Mm-hmm. So the plan needed to change, and I think they were slow to do so. And I think it put them in a predicament down the stretch. The early signing period very much has changed the dynamic of the whole recruiting map because your January to February targets are so much less with so many after them. It makes it really difficult. Willie spoke yesterday about how he doesn't really like two signing periods for that very reason. The guy that you didn't sign that you like or the guy that you're pursuing that didn't sign all of a sudden goes from being a guy that you and four others want to everybody wants because mm-hmm. everybody needs. And he is right to that degree. But that is the landscape they're playing ball and so they have to live in it. And and for context, just to show how they had to pivot and maybe to Chris's point that it took a little a little while to to realize that you had to adjust. Uh, this recruiting cycle, they offered 226 players, and some of that probably has overlap from you know, having a previous staff. Uh, but the 2018 recruiting cycle, 181 offers. 2017, I mean, this is, it was by far the most we've seen at FSU. And it, yeah, 2017 was 164 offers. So. Uh, you saw them putting out a lot of scholarship offers at the very end, uh, and the numbers kind of bear that a little bit. So, you know, hopefully for FSU's sake that this staff has found, hopefully they have a path that they're going to follow now, and I think that's the best thing, best course of action is to kind of understand what you are, who you can get, uh, and obviously there's an adjustment period for staffers to understand the landscape of Florida State and, and understand that things changed during the season with expectations. Now you have to kind of stick to it, get some stability, and then maybe that's your path back to, to a top 10 class, and then you can maybe go from there. Um, all right, what else we want to do? Anything else on here? Well, I think pivot to what would yesterday with dust settling, for the most part, minus Nick Cross, where did it go in 2020? And to me, obviously, quarterback's a clear-cut thing. They've already got one in the fold. Certainly, I think they need to recruit two. 
while also still pursuing grad transfers that can come in immediately for 2019. Mm -hmm. Secondly to me, and me and Josh spoke about this this morning, I think they need an elite offensive tackle, and I think they need elite talent on the defensive line, a defensive end, a defensive tackle of that sort. McKinley Jackson, kid that was here for junior day recently, is a defensive tackle type. Mm -hmm. To me, he's one of the best in the country. He's a no-doubter. He's a huge-bodied kid. The end. I really like Will Anderson. I don't think people view him as elite at this point. He's ranked a three star. You know, I think that's atrocious. The offers are he showing should be that he's a elite. He's yeah. a hell of a player on film. Mm-hmm. Great body, great first step, physical, long, finishes plays well. I like him. He checks the boxes. So he'll be a high end four star by the end, if not a I five agree. star. Yeah. Um, and he's real close to Kevon Glenn, so FSU has a bit of an in there. He's been there twice to FSU since December because mm-hmm. of Glenn, so that helps him. So I think those are areas. And then an offensive skill talent. This class. It didn't exist in it. Goolsby is the only offensive skill player they took in all class, and he's kind of a specialty red zone type at this point in his career. So they have to – you can't go two cycles without doing really well with those. And I understood this year the focus was linebackers, DBs, O-line, quarterback. They hit on three of those four for the most part and obviously failed at quarterback. Which is a biggie. We'll right, right. But yes. we've talked about that. I think for next year, the focus kind of shifts where it's a much more balanced class. Mm-hmm. It's about getting really good high-end talent throughout different positions and making sure your quarterback room is finally back up to snuff. Josh missing the drop-in yet again. Are you alive? Are you alive, Josh? Oh, sorry. I was muted. I'm sorry. About time That's somebody muted you. I thought you guys were just Oh my god. Don't worry. Um I got people. I'm trying to do the right thing and mute my mic and you are you're not helping me. Oh who's not helping you? Me? Am I getting blamed for this somehow? Well you're yelling at me. Oh. I've had enough people yelling at me, alright? <laughs> Sorry, I forgot you're fragile. It's you you present such a laissez faire attitude that it's uh, it's difficult to to remember that you're a person you have feelings to sometimes. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. No, I'm just ready for 2020, man. Can we put 2019 to bed? Can no, we, we can't. Nick Cross, Nick Cross is still hanging out there. We, we can't move on. Cross to sign and just put 2019 to bed because I am. I I truly am excited about 2020. I think they're off to a good start at linebacker and quarterback, and I really like what Jeff Sims is doing. I think he's going to be what we all wanted Sam Howell to be. I mean, there's no question. He's already done more recruiting and probably the first 24 hours of him being committed than Sam Howell did the entire 10 months he was committed. So I think they got the right guy at quarterback right now that they need. Of course, they're going to add another one, but 2020 is looking a lot more positive. All right. We'll uh, we'll end it on that note, guys. Uh, Everyone, thanks for listening. On a positive note. That's what I'm saying. I I like it. I like it. Uh, We don't want to be accused of being negative all the time. I think we we try hard to be as realistic as possible. And sometimes that means being positive. Sometimes that means being negative, if that's your your version of the truth. So anyways, Brendan Sinone, Chris Nee, Josh Newberg, Knowles 24-7 Podcast. Five-star reviews. Subscribe. Goodbye.